0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Women in Industry podcast. My guest today is Andrea Wilson, a director of Honor Precision Limited. Honor are a dynamic and forward-thinking subcontract machining company and they specialize in deep hole boring deep hole drilling CNC turning and CNC honing um, and they're proud to work alongside and be a part of great manufacturing organizations to name just a few there's make UK the Bedfordshire Chamber of Commerce UK manufacturing Unite and the Midlands aerospace Alliance had to write those down welcome Andrea
1: thank you that's Great to speak with you,
0: Kirsten. So you're celebrating your 30th anniversary with Honol this year. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a long time in one company. I've been here 34 years. Um, so you, you said earlier that you were quite small when you started, just sort of four or five people.
1: Yeah, we were your typical sort of backstreet engineering shop. You know, we had about 1,200 square
0: Oh, I can um, see out your window, and that's not 1,200 square foot. <laughs> no, we're we're about 15,000 now. Um, so, yeah, we've grown quite a lot over the years. But,
1: you know, I think as a business, we'd have probably grown a lot quicker, but we always decided to invest in our premises and buy our premises. So, you know, that sort of restricted the growth, but it meant that the growth has been successful, controlled, and also that
0: we have that security for the business during the tougher times. It gives you a foundation, literally, doesn't it? Um, we, we did similar. So we rented for probably the first nine years and then bought the first factory, then two and three. And, and those are the year you invest in property and not in machinery.
1: Yeah, and I think also for us, because we're such an energy-intensive industry, deep boring is quite hungry on the electricity front. When you're putting electrical installations in that are worth hundreds of thousands of pounds, you know, you don't want a lease that's going to expire in three to five years.
0: So yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. Um, so I have a question that you will know the answer to. Um, what's the difference between deep hole drilling and deep hole boring? Um,
1: well, it, there's always a lot of confusion between terminology. People call gun drilling and deep hole drilling the same thing, um, and then you know, people get nervous when they hear about gun drilling because it's guns and weapons not actually a process but effectively gun drilling or deep hole drilling is a carbide a a tube with a carbide tip um, and it generally sort of goes up to around about 20-25 mil diameter for the drilling diameter. Deep hole boring takes over at that point the process is a drill tube with a drill head with pads, tips etc and that process here in particular we can go up to 200 mil diameter Other businesses can go up to a lot bigger than that, so it's really more of a size range thing than it is a a tooling aspect.
0: Thank you. I was wondering, uh, and I I knew you'd know the answer and save me from googling it. So, (laughs) Um, one of the things I found really interesting um, when I was doing my research from you is that the culture, um, the honal precision. really push internally, um, where you've got an open policy on management and business strategy that you get everyone to be involved in rather than sort of a top-down approach. Um, Has that contributed to your success? Has it had any – has it ever backfired?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly contributed, and it's also complicated, complicated things at times. Um, You know, because we grew from a very small business and a lot of the guys we have here have been with us since we were that very small business and they've joined us, you know, we've got guys here for 34 years, 30 years, 28, 25, you know, just as as I'm going down there's about another four that have been here 22, 23 years this year. It's brilliant in terms of your um, relationship and it's fantastic in terms of the consistency, and knowledge retention, but also that sometimes brings its own difficulties because mm. you don't have that fresh perspective, um, and people forget how difficult it can be outside sometimes in other businesses. Um, so you know it brings it brings both sorts of benefits and so negative. But for us, I think we always try. I mean, like every sometimes it's funny. One of the questions you were going to ask, um, you mentioned about what was the biggest bit of advice or the best bit of advice you were ever given and it was from one of the guys who worked with us who I was struggling to understand why some of the guys were not buying into the way we were trying to manage and open and discussions and make sure everybody had an involvement and I'll never forget Lee Brandon turning around to me and going hon I know you're trying your best but you can take the horse to water but you can't make it drink and I think you know that's, that's one thing you always have to remember in this industry because um engineers can quite often be very fixed in their ways and they're used to seeing it and doing it a particular way and it's trying to get them to open up to understand that they can be different. We're not perfect, you know, no business is perfect. We can't always get it right. Um, But I think the one thing we are good at here is that when we don't quite get it right, whether be a, a management choice or a strategic decision, we put our hands up and go, okay, so how come? And that's where I think the magic comes in.
0: I think you're right, and, and what you're talking about there is both internal and external communication, um, and an honesty in communication. We've all had the phone calls from a supplier, and we know we're, you know, they're blagging it a bit, um, and you just don't want to be the person seen as blagging it, I suppose. And sometimes you have to have those conversations where you go, "We've got this wrong." And I think and, we get more respect for that.
1: And I think, you know, that honesty, that one of the things that I think is the biggest thing across our entire business is this trust. Um, you know, and, and we call it sort of this, this this security because, you know, in 30 years, we've never made anybody redundant, never put anybody on short time, even during COVID and further. you know, everybody was on 100% because we make a commitment to the people that we take on, but, you know, we take them on for life as long as the relationship is a two-way street and they're benefiting the business and we're benefiting them you know that that's our biggest commitment and i think that's where that trust comes in you can only have that if you're totally and brutally honest about where the business is how the business is performing what the business needs and what it needs you know what we each need from each other in order to make sure we all have that longevity
0: in terms of our job security i agree completely i am Yeah, yeah, preaching to the choir, definitely. But you also then get that level of trust for when you do need to say, look, this has gone horribly wrong, or this key account needs us. Can we all start at four o'clock tomorrow morning? You've got the buy in um, okay. on those instances when you know that does happen. Um you've got quite a lot of recommendations regarding um your leadership skills on LinkedIn. I was having a, a nose through them earlier. Um and Christopher Greenow, bless him, has written a fabulous recommendation for you. Um and he points out the work you've done being um helping drive policy when you um worked with Mate UK. Were you a regional director with Mate UK? Yeah. Um,
1: I was regional chair
0: for about 10 years, which I think it's supposed to be a (laughs) two-year-old. So you did it five times then? Effectively, but
1: they they never sort of redid it. I reckon it's because we had our meetings on a Friday and I got us out on time, Um, you know. But, um, yeah, it's funny because I only ended up in the role because I stood up to um, someone they brought in to transform Make UK, and it was one of my first meetings and the guys and went we need to get rid of the SMEs, they're costing us a fortune, they're not valuable, we need to focus on big business. And at the time, we were having our AS9100 here at the factory, Mm. and I'd let go to this meeting. And unfortunately, I lost the plot slightly with him, stood up and said, I've better things to do than to listen to this, and this is not what make UK or EEF as it goes back. And And this is going back a long time. Thankfully, his policies and ideas never came to fruition. wasn't there very long after but as a result, I was put forward for the chair position. Um, I think mainly because I was always willing to challenge and stand up for the yeah. SMEs and the, the small businesses. Back then, we probably had sort of 18, 20 people. Um, and I've, I'm from Yorkshire, and my mum always said, you know, at the end of the day, if if you don't like something, you can't complain about it if you're not willing to try and change it. So I've always stood up for what I believe in. Um, and being very honest and open with my opinions. I think one of the things I said to Semlep in my interview was, you know, you might not always like what I have to say, but it will be honest and it will be from an informed position. <laughs> but, but you won't always like what I have to say. I,
0: I think quite often a lot of people do shy away from um, giving the hard truths or saying, no, I disagree or no, that won't work. Um, because they feel that it's a reflection on them rather than what they're trying to change for the better. So how do you deal with that? Do you just say it? Because I tend to. But. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah um, going back going back quite a few years when I was a lot younger, um, I was quite often wheeled out to go speak at Parliament and speak to a number of MPs. Unfortunately, um, those invitations tend to dry up again when they didn't quite like how I was phrasing so for example you know at the time the particular skills funding landscape mm-hmm. I like chocolate orange in front of um, a number of them and said you know it's basically tap it unwrap it everybody gets their little slice and I'm left with a shiny bit of paper yeah um, couldn't go down to well. Um but you know at the end of the day I always remember quite a few of the the Speeches I did like when I opened before, I did an opening speech, a launch speech for Phil Dunton's Technical Centre and I'll never forget the amount of people that came up to me afterwards and said thank you so much for speaking in English, not in acronyms, for putting the case across in the language I understand and so I think I've always taken that, that gratitude from people that, you know, they, they, they don't want to hear the political correct acronyms and you know, everything that is rosy, because let's be honest, you know, it's not always rosy. Um And the government tell us that they're doing a great job for us, but in reality, you know, in a lot of places, they really on and they need to be challenged. So I like doing that. And I think also, um as much as there's not as many women in this industry, I do think women get away with being that little bit more cheeky <laughs> in terms of, in engineering because you know there are fewer of us. Not as few as there used to be, which is great, but there are still
0: fewer of us. And one of the things about being a woman in engineering or manufacturing is because there are less of us, um, it can actually be a benefit that you're memorable. So if there are twenty precision companies um and one of them has Andrea being vocal about something, and she's the only woman in the room, then the other 19 precision companies won't be remembered as such. So Not necessarily
1: necessarily remembered as well. (laughs) But um, you say memorable, quite a few people basically
0: say pain in the
1: backside.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, that gets it done as well. So obviously coming up to your 30th anniversary and the organisations you've been involved with. um, You must have um, some really good friends and co-workers in the sector. Uh, Joanna Brooks in uh, episode one talked about her metal mates. And I just loved that phrase. Yeah. So, um have you got any manufacturing mates or metal mates that have helped you, inspired you?
1: So many over the years, you know, uh, I, from from all sort of sectors, not just within engineering itself. You know, I'll never forget um the, the Susie Bates from Horseman Defence. You know, she's been retired a long time eh? now, but she was. So this glamorous woman that walked into the office, you know, and I was in, the, probably I was 22, 23 at the time, you know, and I just thought, wow, you know, look at this professional woman. And I'll never forget my one of my first bank managers when we were showing her a Derelict unit we wanted to buy and um, we couldn't actually access it on the day she was coming. So we got a ladder but she climbed over the ladder, over the six, eight foot fence with us to go in and actually have a look at it. Um, and of course, you know over 30 years, so many people in so many different ways have influenced me, or or guided, or helped. Um, I mean, you know, Tom uh is just the most wonderful gentleman that I've ever met. Um, and yeah, he he gives he gives me a nudge every now and then, and and sort of puts me back on my um, please
0: don't give up mode. <laughs> Talking about um, not giving up. Um, you, um, are incredibly vocal, um, about the fact that the UK does not have an industrial strategy, um, and that there is a need for this and a need for, a Minister for Manufacturing, um, which I think is how I first came across you. Um, when did you start Banging the drum about this, and are you getting anywhere with it? I think I know the answer to that. I don't even know why I asked that. Really,
1: <laughs> um, to be honest, the idea started around about I think nine ten years ago. Um, I went to a Make UK conference, and um, exact years you can be able to research for Spins Cable speaking, um, and I would had a number of um, issues over that. Previous year, 18 months with the support structure in our area um, and the delivery mechanisms, particularly when manufacturing advisory was put out to tender. Mm. And Cramfield University, who had it originally, were doing such an amazing job. And then a consulting firm took over and it became simply a money making scheme for them.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: And I really wanted, I was really struggling to find anybody to listen. And one of the things I challenged Vince Cable was, you know do you not think we actually need someone overarching in government to take this sector, you know, by the hand and into their heart and drive it forward, you know, independent of political party because it's such a key critical sector? And Vince Cable effectively shot me down and went, I think we're doing a good enough job as we are, don't you? And as I went to say, no, that's why I'm asking the question, as he moved on to the next question. Um, And then... You know, you sort of get on back to business and then during COVID, obviously we all had the of time um, and it sort of raised its head again in a variety of ways, particularly with support for SMEs. As much as I think the government did a, a lot of good work during COVID in terms of their own businesses, again, the SME side really didn't come into it until flexible furlough was introduced, which mm. then became trendy. If we'd have had flexible furlough at the start, a lot of us would have really upskilled and driven reskilling. Um And uh, so the support UK manufacturing, we sort of all sat there and a number of us, like Mark Weymouth, Chris Greener, you know, um, Jeff Beecham, all the people that we'd spoken to and got to spoken at various points over the previous year or two sort of got together. And this Minister for Manufacturing came back up and said, well, OK, let's do a poll. Let's do the other people things. And all of a sudden, it was, I think, 90, 90%, jets. so it started being a campaign again. In all honesty, I don't care if it's a minister, or a commissioner, uh, a chief officer. I just think as an industry and as, as sectors within this industry, we need somebody who is basically going to stand there and fight our corner. Somebody who cares, somebody who's experienced, somebody who's knowledgeable. Because I've seen the hard work that we've all done over the last 20, 25 years. And Every time a politician comes into some form of industrial role, we invite them, we give them tours, we buy them in, and we do so well to them. And six months later or three months later, they've gone reshuffle, rebrand, whatever the case may be. Um, and it, it's so disheartening because you never actually manage to get that consistency of approach or that consistency of support. And if we just had somebody mm-hmm. that actually listening, particularly to SMEs, I think. The, the, the support structure for a start would be completely and utterly scrapped and started again. I think one of the great things that came out the Make UK membership board meeting I went to a week or two ago was one of one of the members I won't say home was please stop with all the support, stop it, scrap it, start again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it is just such a minefield. It's full of complexities and none of it, or most of it is not applicable or appropriate to business. Less
0: than 128. We 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 um that that's perfectly illustrated by the new energy um mm. <laughs> and I don't even want to call scheme. it a scheme. Proposed support scheme. <laughs> uh proposed support scheme that um doesn't actually support most of the manufacturing centre. Um I I I don't know if your sit code is included, ours isn't oh. and most of the uh, people in the metals industry are, are excluded. But if we ran a museum, we'd be fine. Yeah.
1: Ours is, as a manufacturer of tubes, manufacturer of but the thing is, the support level is not actually going to apply to us with the rates that we're currently on anyway. It's
0: so only sorry. about 1.2 pence <laughs> per kilo what you get anyway. I mean, it's like...
1: I mean, let's be honest. Again, this is another uh, another sort of demonstration of how short-sighted the government is yeah if they actually did something about the um, you know gas suppliers electricity suppliers etc and regulated it or we had a, a, a version of Ofcom for business I mean when our, our energy supplier went bust we ended up being transferred automatically to a particular energy company who I probably can't mention um, and in all honesty, if that would have been on a personal basis, I'm sure they would have been taking support, but I have no one to go to mm. complain about it because there is no off-gen, you know, there's no off-gen for business. No. Um, and they—they they, it took me 11 months of arguing with them where they billed me incorrectly. They put fees on that they claimed government fees, which didn't exist. And it's only because I knew a little bit about it that I caught it. Somebody in a much smaller business wouldn't have known. You know, um, so, yeah, I think I think it's it's the government, you know, again, they they try and put these schemes in to supposedly help. They really don't help. Whereas if they actually tackled the issue in the first place, then, you know, there wouldn't be a problem to try and help.
0: Or if they took advice from people who those issues affected to see what support they needed, rather than just saying, here's the support you're getting ready or not. Here it comes. Uh, whether it's applicable or not, it, it would be a different matter. It's, it's, the same with, it's the same with grant funding. The government keep telling us we have a productivity issue in the UK.
1: And yet if you want to apply for a grant for capital equipment, you have to show you're going to recruit people, which then... Yes,
0: your that annoys me so much um, <laughs> because difficult. we can be so much more productive if we, and not all industries can be automated, but... Um, we've done quite a bit of automating over the years and we've looked at other areas, but we look at it and we go, we spend a hundred thousand pounds to do that. I can then move the person from that machine to somewhere else, but I can't get any grant towards it because I'm taking the person away from it. And I'm not creating two. I'm not creating two new jobs. It's (laughs) like, well, well, no, but I'm, creating more output, therefore I'm gonna pay more VAT, more corporation tax. Um and you can actually upskill the person yeah. you've moved. You yeah. It it's it yeah, it's crazy. Um but I I think I I think that we're not going to um uh, be listened to as much as we should be um in industries. Um I speak to um, people in the government fairly frequently from a council I sit on, um, and in two years we've had a minister turn up once, <laughs> who was gone uh, 10 days later. Yeah, Lee Rowley by any chance. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> so, w- w- we an industrial strategy to take developed by people in SMEs and larger corporations to look at how the UK can improve productivity, can upskill the workforce, can um, generate more jobs down the line because we're producing more, but in do it in a more automated way. I mean, that's the dream really, isn't it?
1: It is, but also we've got to be looking on a more broad scale as well. You know, it it, it is looking at, um, specific government incentives to retain particular industries here. I mean, Rishi Sunak's post about his business, you know, I, I think I popped it on LinkedIn about, he says, and make sure that these things are invented here. There's no mention of those things that are being invented here, being manufactured here. Hmm. And that displays and demonstrates exactly, in my opinion, the Conservative government's really poor approach to manufacturing you know it's all about artificial intelligence it's all about the trendy nice little things it's not about the actual grassroots manufacturing but what they really aren't grasping is the fact that you can't actually achieve all these wonderful green technologies etc without the supply chain behind it you know um and and it's almost like they're blinkered to actually understand what goes on they only see this top left of, of D, or you know artificial intelligence or green technology or and and not all the layers and the people and you know the equipment that stick below it which is the actual mainstay of it we are the
0: foundation of it, it will it won't work um to achieve any kind of sustainable goal if you invent it in the uk and then have it manufactured in taiwan and then bring it back again um you know we're now talking about onshoring again um oh goes back to my early days probably before i joined where a lot of manufacturing was offshore to Hong Kong at the time. Um, And then when um, Hong Kong and the UK parted company, China took up a lot of production. Um, And then everyone in the UK went, well, that's not very fair. And we're like, well, you actually sent it to Hong (laughs) Kong because it was cheaper in the first place. Um, And now someone's taken your idea. I know that's a very simplification. But if we want to be more sustainable as a manufacturing SMEs, we need supply chain confidence. We need to be able to source locally, i.e. from the UK or from Europe, because that way we're reducing our carbon footprint from importing from all around the world. But to be able to invent all these wonderful new things in the UK, as you rightly say, we need the the, the the foundations of the companies of the supply chain that we can build upon that.
1: Yeah. And let's be honest, it's not just about the resilience. It's about the survival because you look during COVID and Brexit, you know, the things that we couldn't get, you know, if it hadn't have been for the UK manufacturers, the, the ventilators would have not been here. They would have not arrived. People would not have had their life saved. You know? And, yeah, that's all forgotten about yeah you know yes (laughs) it's it's just absolutely ridiculous so yeah i i i am still fighting am i struggling to keep my faith yes am i struggling to keep my energy levels there for it yes do i wonder if it's worth it very often (laughs) am i going to keep going hell yeah
0: oh that's all you can do
1: (laughs) at the end of the day yeah you can't give up and you can't give in because at the end of the day if we give up and give in, nothing will ever change. And even if just one small thing changes, at least we know we've done something. And at least we can continue to moan and groan about the things the government aren't doing because at least we're willing to challenge them on it. You can't sit there moan and groan if you're sitting back and letting it happen.
0: So if you were talking to a young woman who was coming into the industry today, would that be your advice? Don't give up, keep going?
1: Um, I think my first bit of advice would be learn every aspect of that business inside and out Um, because I do think, um, certainly in my early years, people naturally assumed that I was on sales or admin and female. Um, And whenever, you know, somebody would call up and want to quote doing, i would say, yes, sir, how can I help? Well, can I speak to a tech? Yes, sir, can I help? Well, And eventually, so say, you know, can I speak to Ted or Terry? <laughs> and you say, well, you can, but if you want to wait two days for your quote, you can speak to them. If you want your quote now, speak to me. Can I yep. help? <laughs> um, and I, I think that's one of the biggest things, I think, is, you know, making sure that you have that job knowledge inside an outfit. Mm-hmm. That way, nobody's ever going to challenge or, or think that you've got there for any other reason than. You do and how well you do it. The other thing is, I think also is, don't feel you have to change to conform to the industry, because being yourself and being true to yourself and being genuine and bringing all the characteristics that make women so very special, including our emotions, including our slightly OCD tendencies in terms of aesthetics, etc. A lot of those things bring such a brilliant perspective into engineering and manufacturing. Um that it's often quite what can differentiate one business from another by a very very big margin um and I know that it's I've seen it and it's proven here um with um a lot of the ideas that my females on in my team have brought to the table, which you know I don't see in many other businesses so be genuine don't don't feel that you know because it's a male dominated environment you have to become. Into that character, character, or characteristic that the male Dominick um, Bring your bring how special you are, bring how unique you are, bring how wonderful you are to the table
0: with every single facet that that you know involves. That's absolutely fantastic. I think young women coming into the industry now, uh, it's a completely different world to how it was 30 years ago. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, thank goodness. Um yeah.
0: <laughs> there is still a very long way to go, but um it is a lot better. Um and by having women like yourself um visible as accomplished driven, very successful directors of manufacturing businesses, if they see it, they can be it. So thank you very much for your time, Andrea. It's lovely to chat to you. I could have listened to you for hours. (laughs) Um, One day
1: of wine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or a gin and tonic. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks ever so much for having me on.